So, kids, um, you have in your packet a game of bingo. It's kind of a game where some of our stronger readers will be able to engage and kind of help you listen well to the sermon this morning. Younger kids, you might want to ask a parent to help you with it. But basically, you, you're, you're going to be listening for words that I might say. And Miss Shannon's handing them out over there if you need one. Listening for the words that I might say, or there's going to be a video a little bit later on that you can listen for words from that as well. And you're going to check them off as bingo. And at the end of today's service, make sure you find Miss Shannon and you can turn in your bingo card for a prize, okay? Over the Christmas break, I got to spend some time with a, a nine-year-old who's basically kind of becoming my nephew. His name is Julian. And Julian is the son of the man that my sister-in-law is dating. Okay, so Eric's sister's boyfriend's son, which makes him kind of like a cousin to my kids. He's not officially their cousin because the dad hasn't put a ring on it yet, but we're slowly getting there. So Julian is an only child. And when he was told that we were going to get together over Christmas and exchange presents, apparently he got a little bit nervous. And when they asked him why, he said that he'd never spent Christmas with any other kids. And he was worried that he would have to, like any gift that he got, he would have to share it with my kids. And I think he was pleasantly surprised to find that not only did they get their own gifts, but it's actually much more fun opening presents with others and seeing what they got and maybe, you know, playing some of the toys together. Like Julian got a laser tag guns and turns out those don't work so well when you've only got yourself to shoot at. So last year, at some point, we took our three kids and Julian to a, a rather deserted mini adventure park. It had uh, mini golf and one of those like trapeze trampoline things, you know, where you strap into harnesses and you can jump super, super high on a trampoline. And it also had these fun bumper boats uh, on like a wee pond. Now, because he's an only child, Julian isn't particularly used to having to wait his turn right? His turn is usually the first and only turn at a place like that. And at one point, I could see that Julia was getting a little bit frustrated about, um, he, because we were going in order of age, so he was realizing that to go on this trampoline thing, he was going to be the third in line, and he was getting frustrated at having to wait. So I got the chance to talk to him about how, yeah, when you have cousins or, or, or siblings, there, there are hard parts like that. You have to wait your turn, you have to share, etc., um, but I was also able to point out to him some of the benefits of being around cousins or siblings too, because those bumper boats, they're, they're nowhere near as much fun when you're by yourself, right? The point of bumper boats is number one, to bump other people and to avoid getting bumped. And then these particular bumper boats had these kind of water gun things on them where you could spray other people and avoid being sprayed which again, turns out to be way more fun when there are other people to spray or to avoid being sprayed by. And I tell you that story because I think there's a little bit of an overlap with what it means to be in the family of God. There are benefits, but there are also difficulties and sort of what might be perceived as negative parts. And I think honestly, in the last year, it's been really easy for us to see and be able to name and feel some of the more negative parts of that, having to serve other people, having to prefer other people, having to wait our turn. But I want to talk 
for a few minutes today, just a few minutes about what it looks like to be part of the family of God. Because being a Christian was never meant to be a solo endeavor. When you're saved to Jesus, you're saved into a family. And part of the benefit and reason of that is because we need one another to grow, to practice our spiritual gifts, to refine one another. We've been in a, a series lately on John 15 um, about abiding in Christ. And last week, Dr. Steve Porter um, brought to us that some of the fruit that is being talked about in John 15 is the fruit of the Spirit, right? And Galatians 5.22 tells us what those fruits of the Spirit are. Kids, maybe you know the song and can say this along with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or health control, as one of my kids used to frequently say. And you know what? I am full of these fruits of the Holy Spirit, full of them, overflowing, when I'm by myself. I am the most patient person in the world, unless I'm in a hurry to get somewhere and there's somebody driving slowly in front of me, or somebody's taking too long to put on their shoes and get in the car in the morning. I am full of kindness when I'm up on Signal Hill, having my spiritual moment and praying for people. Slightly less full of kindness when that same person I've just prayed for calls me later in the day to you know, complain about something or criticize me for something I've said. I am the most loving person I know when I'm alone and there's no difficult or annoying person in front of me who I'm called to love. Iron doesn't sharpen itself, right? Iron sharpens iron, Proverbs tell us. So we need others not only to sharpen and refine us and help us grow, but we also need others to build us up and encourage us. One of the main ways that we can encourage other people is to see someone, to name who they are, and I mean who they really are in Christ, by identifying and helping nudge them towards the fullness of Christ, of who Christ is calling them to be. And I would even go so far as to say that we need people who are not like us to help us grow. The Bible tells us that if we're all trying to be the same or all trying to do the same thing, then the body of Christ doesn't actually function so well. So we're going to listen to a reading from 1 Corinthians 12. Kids, actually, if you want to see it. So we have these TV screens set up over here. There's an animated interpretation of this reading from 1 Corinthians 12. So kids, you're welcome to come and sit in front of these TV screens or stand on one of the little dots there. Make sure you bring your bingo card if you are coming to see that because there's some of the words from bingo there to be crossed off. So kids, you can come forward and stand in front of the screens. The rest of us, we're going to listen to this reading from 1 Corinthians 12. It's, a, it's the message translation, so it's a little bit that's interesting and different to listen to. But I want you to listen for the ways that we might be able to encourage one another into being who Christ made us individually to be. Okay, so let's listen to that reading now. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere. You can easily see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. 
It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, popular or unpopular, jock or geek, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. Would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine I telling hand, get lost, I don't need you, or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body that you're concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part, the parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's what you are. You must never forget this. All right, kids, you want to make your way back over to where your parents, your family are? So as we heard in that reading, there are benefits to us being a family of all ages, of different stages, different political persuasions, different accents, some of us, different talents, many of us, 
financial statuses, different skills, right? First Corinthians 12, 17, you just heard it. It said, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? We can't all be incredible worship leaders or you know, gifted teachers, but we can name and encourage and bless what we do see in others. We want to foster here a spirit of encouragement more than a spirit of competition. One of the key things that the New Testament tells believers to do when they gather together is to encourage one another. Here it is in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says, so encourage one another with the hope that you have. Build each other up. In fact, that's what you are doing. Or Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We heard this from the Moncure family last week. says, let us consider how we can stir up one another to love. Let us help one another to do good works. Some translations say spur one another on. And let us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. Instead, let us encourage one another with words of hope and even more so as you see the day of Christ. Even in a time when we do not see each other so regularly face to face, we still absolutely have the ability to spur one another on to love and good deeds, right? And to encourage one another and build one another up. Being together online still allows for that to happen. Sometimes just seeing other people who've set aside the time to be there, prioritize the gathering online, is enough to encourage me. And kids and youth, this goes for you too. I know that Zoom gatherings are not ideal for you. We know it. It is not the way that life is meant to be lived, right? But in a season where that might actually be a safer option for some people, just consider that sometimes your presence in a Zoom room might be a blessing to someone else who's there. Even better, something you say might be an encouragement or a blessing to them. And I was talking with our, our operations manager, Brenda Ho, about this very thing last week. Many of you know Brenda's been sick basically since, since COVID began. And so she's therefore had to attend everything, every, every meeting, every church gathering, every staff meeting, every one-on-one -on -one conversation really from Zoom and not in person. She was sharing with me how encouraging it's been for her to pray via the chat feature on our, our live stream service on Sunday mornings. And she said this, I'm quoting, she said, I know it sounds so cold and strange, but God has absolutely shown up in the prayer chat. It's an honor and a privilege to pray truths over our community and let them know that they're seen by me and by God. It has helped me feel connected to the body of grace, even when she's typing a prayer. And her son, Richland, has also been attending the Action Company Boys Bible Study on Zoom. So Richland's in eighth grade, I believe, and she asked him to share why he actually enjoys doing the Bible study on a Zoom. And he said, I think it's important to go to these Zoom meetings because it's nice to meet with friends that I can't see in person. It has also made me have the courage to pray with my mom, which she thought was very kind of me. It may be online, but we do the same things we share our highs and lows from the week. We watch or listen to a Bible lesson and then pray for one another. So whoever you other middle schoolers are that are attending that Zoom Bible study, your presence is a blessing and a benefit to Richland Ho. And because of your guy's example and practice of praying together in that Zoom for healing, he then had the courage to come out of the Zoom last week and pray for healing over his mom, which was a huge blessing to her. A church becomes a church in the gathering. You might have heard this analogy before around here,
but the gathered church, and I mean the people, not this building, the gathered church is kind of like an embassy. So when you set foot in a U.S. embassy in, in any foreign country, you're entering into U.S. rule and reign, right? It's like a little patch of American turf in Uzbekistan or Egypt or France or wherever you happen to be. When we gather together, either in person or online, but together at the same time, we are a physical manifestation and representation of heaven's rules and judgments of God's sovereign kingdom here on earth. It's like a rehoming that we, you know those pigeons that you, that you send them out and they always come back? They go and they come and they go and they come. That's kind of like what happens when we gather here on a weekly basis. It's like a repatriating, I don't even know if that's a word, but like a, a, re, a rerouting of ourselves into God's kingdom under God's sovereignty. Pre-COVID, I used to be part of a traditional Irish music session, which is basically a get-together of Irish musicians uh, at a pub every Sunday afternoon. And it's kind of, not only is it a place where we get together and share music and, and do that thing together, but it's kind of like a, a, a soft place where it's okay to be Irish. So we'll say things that only Irish people understand or tell stories and songs about sort of history and or talk about like the, the TV shows that we watched in Ireland as kids that they don't have in America or food that we ate in Ireland that you don't have here more than just potatoes. Um, we remember and we are rehearsing together what it means to be Irish, right? Rehearsing together the things that make us Irish. It's the same when we gather. We're celebrating our identity, our real nationality as Christians, as Christ ones, right? We eat food here that is unique to us, the bread and the cup. We say phrases that are unique to us, the body of Christ broken for you. Peace be with you in Jesus' name, those kind of things. In some sense, when I'm at the pub with my, my Irish musician friends, in some sense, they're encouraging my Irish side, right? Pulling out of me the ways of being that get muted because I live in another culture all week. Surely part of our calling here is to encourage one another into our Christ-like selves. Tim Keller has a phrase for this uh, in his marriage series from Ephesians. He talks about the idea of marriage being a place where you're, you're partly trying to find the glory self in the other person. I love that phrase, the glory self. We are being called in our discipleship to our glory selves, who we are becoming in Christ. So when someone points out a fruit of the Spirit in me occasionally, I'm encouraged that I'm growing or doing something right in my discipleship to Jesus, right? Somebody says, thank you for your patience in that moment, or thank you for extending forgiveness to me in that fight that we had. Who does that for you? Who sees a better version of you than you even see of yourself? Or who do you encourage? Who are you pushing and nurturing the development of the fruit of the Spirit in, in partnership? with the Holy Spirit. The word encourage means to give support or confidence or hope to. Let me say that again. Encourage, the definition is to give support or confidence or hope to. So I wanna end by asking, how might we encourage one another right here, right now? How might we give support 
or confidence or hope to someone in their walk with Christ. It could be reminding someone of their identity in Christ. You are forgiven. You are chosen. You are beloved. Could be reminding them of where our hope lies. It could be spurring them on to a good deed this week. I have a practice with at least one of my children where at the end of our prayer time each night, we leave 15 seconds of silence. We specifically ask the Holy Spirit if there's anybody he wants to place on our minds to pray for. And sometimes I actually follow up with the person that she prayed for. And, and when I text them and say, hey, you know, she prayed for you tonight and this is what she said. Quite often, they are encouraged by the fact that the Holy Spirit prompted someone to remember them, to think of them and to pray for them. I think they're encouraged that God is actually remembering and thinking of them and holding them in that way. So that's what we're going to do right now as, as I wrap up this part of the service. We're going to, I'm going to pray. We're going to take a, a little silence in there. and We're going to specifically ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to mind who that you might be able to follow up with today. So maybe it's a call this afternoon or if you're online with them right now, chatting, texting them something. Or maybe there's somebody here who you could encourage in some way, shape, or form. Let's not be the people who hear and then just kind of walk away and say, that was nice. Let's embody this act of encouraging one another. It's one of the main things about being together. So I'll pray. You can ask the Holy Spirit. You can also ask the Holy Spirit, how does he want you to encourage somebody? He knows them. He knows their needs, right? What might he prompt you to pray for them? And how might he prompt you to encourage them? So let's pray together now. We'll take that moment. So thank you, God, that we have been given mouths and hands and minds and ways to encourage one another. And we want to be those people, God. We want to be people who are spurring one another onto good deeds. So I ask you now in the silence of this, this next few minutes, if you would bring to mind to each of us individually, somebody who you want us to encourage today. Lord, we open ourselves up to hearing who that is and how you might want us to encourage them. Speak to us now, I pray. Who do you want me to encourage? Lord, I also know that I can tend to be a forgetful person, so I'm asking you to re-prompt that in me later today and in us, that we might be people who, are, who follow through on the promptings that you give us. Amen. I want to end with a word of encouragement for you, Grace family. <clears throat> it's taken from two places, from Romans 12, and then also from 1 Peter, if I can find the passage I'm looking for. There it is. These are words that I found to be encouraging this week and also kind of in the vein of spurring one another on to good deeds. Love what is honest and true. 
hate what is evil. Grace Long Beach, hold on to what is good. Love one another deeply. Honor others more than yourself. Stay excited about your faith as you serve the Lord. When you hope, Grace, be joyful. When you suffer, Grace, be patient. When you pray, be faithful. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and welcome others into your homes. And then 1 Peter 2. For you, Grace family, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, Grace. You are a people belonging to God so that you might declare the praises of him who called you, who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Thanks be to God.